Well, hello, and welcome to the RCC Podcast. We are so glad you chose to join us today. It is our hope that you are inspired, challenged, and learn something new. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter uh, 28. We're kicking off a brand new series. This is a a three-week series. Uh, We've entitled it Go, and uh, I'll explain that a little bit more uh, as we get into it. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks is look at uh, three of probably the most famous or popular passages in Scripture uh, that relate to us sharing our faith and uh, spreading the message of redemption. And so over the last three weeks, we talked about our, our values as a church, and we ended last week with that third one, that everyone's invited to experience redemption. And it's a great statement, and uh, we spent all week through Own the Morning uh, kind of uh, digging into that a little bit more and what that meant, and uh, hopefully it became something more and more throughout the week that you began to own. Uh, but just saying everyone's invited to experience redemption and then actually being a part of that process, uh, those are two different things. And so what we're doing over the next three weeks is looking at these passages, um, two by Paul and one by Jesus, uh, that motivate, teach, inspire us as followers of Christ to engage with him in his mission. And so this one in Matthew chapter 28, I mean, uh, some of Jesus' most famous Words And I want to walk through them uh, this morning. And uh, they're not just a commission. They're known for us as the Great Commission. And there is a sending out, a mission element of this. Uh, and, and perhaps what you think is the most important part of the mission uh, might not be what it actually is. And so we'll look at that. Um, but it's not just a commission. There's actually two promises in here. Uh, a promise at the beginning and a promise at the end that are really, really important for us to see. And so uh, we're going to look at this this morning. It starts like this, Matthew 18 or 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, and Jesus came and said to them. Now this opening line um, may seem insignificant, but it's actually quite important. It's quite important because in this one line right here, Jesus coming to them and speaking to them actually shows us the difference uh, between Christianity and every other faith. And here at the end of uh, Jesus' time on earth, right before, uh, he's going to have one final conversation we know in Acts, but uh, one of the last things he says, he shows us again why this faith is so different. Two things in here. First, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. It's a Christ coming to them. And that's the second part. Every other faith, every other religion, maybe not everyone, but most of them, and the major ones um, for sure, uh, are about this, are about humanity trying to obtain God or humanity figuring out a way to get to God. And even in the end, in Jesus's last little conversation he's going to have, you see a distinction between Jesus and his disciples and uh, the disciples of the day in, in the Jewish faith. In the Jewish faith, a disciple would go to a rabbi Excuse me, and they would ask the rabbi, can I follow you? Even here, you see the difference. Jesus goes to them. I mean, this is the story of Christianity. Jesus coming to us. Jesus moving from heaven to earth. Jesus uh, um, starting his movement by seeking people out. I mean, from the beginning of his movement to the end, it's been different. Now, one of these little caveats that I just love in our Bibles, at least the way they're written out for us in modern day, is the end of Matthew is on one side of my Bible and the beginning of the Gospel of Mark is on the other side. 
And so all you have to do is scan the page from uh, left to right, and you see the ending and the beginning of the story. And in this particular, uh, you see, in, if you just look over to Mark chapter 1 uh, in my Bible on the very same page that I'm on, you see Jesus beginning his ministry by reaching out to people and saying something. I'm going to make you into something. And now you hear or see Jesus on the other side wrapping it up at the very end. So he comes to them, and this is what he says to them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So much. This is the first promise, by the way, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much of the authority? All of it. All of what? The authority. And it's been given to him. Maybe that's surprising to you. It's been given to him, which means if something is given to you, then you didn't always have it. It wasn't always yours. It had to be bestowed upon you. And so how was this authority given to Jesus? To whom, uh, who gave it to him? Well, the Father. The Heavenly Father gave him this authority. Now, authority, uh, this word, uh, it means um, a combination of having both the right and the power. So let's take the stereotypical substitute teacher. Okay, if you're a substitute teacher out there, I apologize. Okay, but the stereotypical substitute teacher, right, they have the right to oversee the classroom, right? Not always the authority to oversee the classroom or the power to oversee the classroom. Excuse me, right? Now, let's look at the stereotypical bully. They have the power to oversee somebody, but they don't have the right to oversee them. Here, Jesus, when he says, I have all authority, he's saying, I have both the right given to me by the Father and the power given to me by the Father. All authority has been given to me. All authority where? In heaven and on earth. Spiritual and practical. Seen and unseen. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, how was it given to him? Well, Philippians chapter 2 actually teaches us the process in which this authority was bestowed upon him. It says this. It says, he humbled himself. And as he humbled himself, Christ, or the Father, exalted him. And so through Christ's humility, he was then exalted and given the authority. John Calvin said this. Um, he said, if you could summarize the Christian life in one word, what would it be? You know what I said? Humility. And he said, if I had three words, I'd choose these. Humility, humility, humility. Three words to describe the Christian life. And so Christ humbled himself, and as he did, the Father exalted him. Now, in this particular case, and I think even in this wording, we have to remember that Christ is fully God, yes, but also fully man. Hebrews tells us why Christ became fully man. He became fully man so that he might fully know us, so that he might fully understand us, that we have a high priest who can relate to us, who knows our weaknesses. He knows temptation, though he did not give into it. And so all of the authority, all of the right to govern, all of the power to make decisions in all things, that which is seen and that which is unseen, the spiritual and the practical, that which you look out and you can identify and that which you wonder is underneath, all of the authority, all of the authority to govern it, all of the authority to make decisions, all of the authority to lead it, the authority over salvation, the authority over hell has been given to a man, Jesus, fully man, 
and fully God. And so this authority now rests in our Savior. And it rests in Christ. And he has it. And then, because of that, and he wants us to know this first, all right? If you remember earlier in the Gospels, there were times when, when they would say things like this. No one teaches like him. It's like he teaches with an authority. It was a foreshadowing of when all of the authority would have been given to him over all of earth. Now, because he has this authority, he instructs. And here's what he instructs. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, we titled this series, Go, and here's why we titled the series, Go. Um, we wanted an intentional word uh, to, for us as a church to be thinking about. A couple weeks ago, um, we talked about how we had changed our mission statement. The RCC family exists to go and make disciples through biblical teaching and meaningful worship. Now, as we sat down and as we like worked our way through this phrase and identified a word that we wanted to come up with this morning, um, it came out of this passage. And one of the things I've been saying lately is to be the church that Jesus came to plant, we have to have the mission that Jesus um, came to give. And here's his mission. Now, what's the primary, some of you will know this, what's the primary command in this text? It's not actually the word go. And some of the other words that surround it aren't the primary text. You're like, well, then why'd you pick the word go? I'll explain that in a second. But the primary point of this command is not go and it's not teach. It's make. It's make disciples. That's the primary point of the text. Now, here's what it reminds us. That Jesus' primary mission and focus was to make disciples. And not to make converts in a way that we might understand it in modern day. Okay? Not to make good churchgoers. Not to um, create peace. Right? But to make disciples. Now, what's a disciple? A lot of different definitions. A lot of people. I mean, and it's base level, sure. A disciple is somebody who follows somebody and their teaching. I've seen it defined that a disciple is somebody who grows in their knowledge of Christ so that they might grow in their love for Christ, so that they might live for Christ, and they might invite others to know Christ. That's a disciple. A disciple is somebody who is taking their entire life and they are orchestrating it around the scriptures, around Jesus. And they're saying, everything that I am and everything that I do and all decisions that I make are going to be made through a filter of Christ. That's a disciple. Now, over the last two years as a church, we have tried, I think, to do our best to help you become disciples of Jesus. We've taught on discipline and church discipline and spiritual discipline. We preach through Jesus's famous preaching in Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We preach through the whole gospel of Mark the summer before. We talked about how to apply the gospel into your mess and all of these different circumstances. And I think and I hope that what has been occurring in you is a growing of knowledge of understanding of Scripture so as to see Jesus, so as to love him more, but also so as to live for him more. Here's the truth. If the level of love you have for other people 
if the way that you handle your money, if the way that you handle your anxiety and your stress, if the way that you forgive, or the way that you don't forgive, if the way that you harbor bitterness, uh, if the way you handle, I could fill in 13 other or 100 other things, is exactly the same now as it was a year or two years ago, then the discipleship process has stopped. It's stopped. And that means that Christ's ultimate aim in your life has stopped. Because the, his ultimate aim in your life is that you are being made into a disciple of his. That more and more of your life can, can live up to the statement, seek ye first the kingdom of God. It means in order to live out Christ's great commission, that commission must first be occurring in us. It means you must be being made more into Jesus. Now, this verb to make disciples is a very intriguing verb. And the whole idea behind it has always been very interesting to me. Even when Jesus looks down and he, looks at, and he calls his first disciples and says, come here and I'm going to make you into something. And I'm going to take what is right here and I'm going to make you into something. The whole idea embodies the, the idea of work, that there's something that's going to happen. Now, there's a certain element of being made into a disciple that is osmosis, Right? Um, uh, uh, you just catch it, sure, a little bit. You can be around it. You can see it in other people, and it might begin to change you. But the real work of discipleship um, is not just sitting and listening. The real work of discipleship uh, is not just, I might get there someday. The real work of discipleship is that Christ through his Holy Spirit, through his um, spoken or his written word, uh, uh, through his uh, other disciples, makes you into something. It means you have a very active role to play in this, in being made a disciple. It means that things should begin to change in you. They shouldn't be the same. That you should have um, benchmarks that you look back over the years and say, I was this, but I'm not that anymore. He's changing me. And there should be nothing in your life, follower of Christ, that you look at and say, well, I'm not going to let that change. No, you're carte blanche. Go, therefore, and make disciples. But we can't. We can't live up to this part until we're at least allowing Christ to be making us into disciples. Now, when he does that and he tells us his chief aim is that disciples might be made, I mean, you see Jesus, he's looking at them and he's giving what seems like an impossible task. You 11, you 11 guys out in front of me, I want you to go, and he says to the nations, uh, which would have been translated Gentiles, so basically all of the non-Jewish people, right? The ones that you fight with, the ones that fight with you, the ones that you might not like, all of the people who are not like you, go to them and make them into what I've made you. Make them into what I've made you. All of them. He says, there's elements of this. First, you have to go. And we pick this word go because we've spent a year or two or a year and a half, however long you've been around, uh, making ourselves into disciples. But at some point in time, that has to translate into not just being made into one, but going and making other ones. 
And what we're doing over these three weeks is beginning to teach ourselves and to maybe, if we have to, to rethink how we think or to recreate how we think so that we might be more actively engaged in thinking about how am I going and making disciples? How am I being a part of what Christ said was his primary mission? So yeah, it starts with going. I mean, it starts with going, and, uh, and people tell you, like, well, that word go means as you go, and, and so maybe it does mean just as you live your life. Maybe it's more intentional. Either one, that as you're living your life and that you're in where you're in for the reason that uh, God has you in there, whether it's, you know, we're here and the kids are in middle school and we're doing sports every weekend or, or we're out of that and, and we're in the retirement place and what, wherever you are, his primary mission for you is that you would be making other disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of everyone who's different than you. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Can you imagine that moment? Being a disciple and you've had three years of Jesus teaching you. I mean, pretty intensely, and he looks back and he goes, and teach them to follow everything else that I've taught you. Everything else that I've taught you. I mean, the flashbacks that must be happening here. And he probably is like, man, do people write those down? There's a lot. There's a lot. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He gives this big command, go and make disciples, and then he ends it with, and I'm gonna be here with you. The entire time that this is happening, I'm going to be right with you. Always. Have you shared your faith lately? I mean, can you remember the last time you shared your faith? Like where you just sat down with somebody and they said, why do you love Jesus? And you told them why. It can be a, a somewhat scary experience. Guess what? He's with you always. He's there with you in that moment. But here's a, going back to the question of have you shared your faith lately? It's very possible that the answer to that question is No. And not no like this last week, no like this last 30 years or 20 or seven or whatever. This isn't a guilt trip. It's a moment to stop and ask, am I living out Christ's greatest mission? Am I understanding what I was called into as a Christ follower? And there are two huge things in this. Two huge things in this text that if we, if we understand them, take us out of any ability of just looking at our faith as just a small part of our lives or a small like segment of what I do. You can't take Scripture seriously 
You can't take these words of Christ seriously and, and, and then segment Christianity as a just small little part of your life. Sunday morning or something else or every fourth Sunday morning, whatever. Jesus takes 11, 12, one of them didn't go so well, right? He takes 11 guys, looks at them and says, now it's your turn. All authority in heaven and on earth. Imagine being those guys when they hear Jesus say that. When they hear him say that and they think, well, we were there when you spoke to the waves and the storm, and it stopped. That authority, all of it now is yours? Okay. We saw you heal people that we thought this could never happen. I mean, when he told them that he had authority over all of this stuff, that meant something to them. Jesus is simultaneously instructing, encouraging, and inspiring all in like 37 words. And this morning, I think and I hope what he's speaking to us is if not just taking you as an individual, you taking your, your faith seriously, but if we're taking our role as a church seriously, then going has to be an important part of who we are. That um, the process of actively being engaged in seeing other people come to know Jesus has to be important to us. Not just becoming church attenders, not just liking our church as opposed to another church. But people who, who don't know Jesus, never thought of them saying yes to faith. Like, and is there like a, a desire in you, like a, like a burning desire like to just to, to want to see somebody come off the street who, 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 who doesn't know Jesus and, and, and as changed as you've been to watch them go through that. And I think the enemy is so good at beating into us lie after lie that says, ah, sharing your faith is useless. Ah, people don't care anymore. They're okay. They've got it together. Every reason, excuse, thought we can come up with for not will hit us. And in that moment, what are we supposed to remember? Jesus has all of the authority, and he's with me. He has all the authority, and he's with me. He has the authority over that person's heart. He has the authority to grant salvation. He has the authority to wake up the dead soul. And he's instructed me to go out and to share it. And he's with me when I do.
I had uh, leading up to this sermon. And I know that for a lot of us, we, we don't even want to pray certain prayers because we don't want God to answer them, right? And that might be, that prayer might be, God, give me opportunities to share my faith, right? Because they're like, I don't really want to do that. So um, I prayed it this week, and I can get, uh, there were th- I had three different encounters this week, okay? Because this is what God does when you pray prayers like this, right? Um, it sounds like a joke. Um, a coffee shop, a sauna, and a parking lot. One of those was more weird than the other two, <laughs> and severely more hot. Um, the first, uh, a guy at a coffee shop wearing a lion's sweatshirt, okay? Um, which was a you know, great first talking point because they actually had won a game. And so um, we just started engaging in a conversation that turned into, what do you do? This one's easy for me, okay? Like I have a cheat, I have an out. I tell people I work at a church, right? And then that starts conversation. And we got to sit there and talk. And he said, where's your church? And I told him where it was. And um, I pastor failed because I didn't have an invite card, right? Um, And so now I got a bunch of them everywhere, and you can grab some too, uh, so that I can actually invite him. He's new to town, and we had a great conversation. He told me he's not a Christian, and um, I don't know what God wanted to do with it. Next one, okay? And this is just my week, right? This is one week. And I'll tell you what, these conversations don't happen every week. But you start praying for it, and God just starts doing things, right? Next one, I'm in the sauna at the Y, okay, after my workout, okay? And uh, I'm sitting in there, and Ray comes in, okay? Um, Well, I'll skip some of the details. Okay, so Ray comes in and starts sitting down and talking to me and telling me everything about his life ever, right, and his back pain, and is just sitting there sharing everything with me, and I'm just, I mean, I'm in a sauna. I'm trapped. What can I do, right, other than pass out? And so... I'm sitting there listening to Ray share all of this stuff, telling me about his back pain. And I'm going to tell you this story is an anti-story because I knew I was supposed to pray for Ray, um, but maybe it was the awkwardness of the situation, and I certainly didn't want to touch his sweaty back. Um, I didn't, and I left. And I prayed for him as I was walking out, and I thought, I should have just prayed with him. And I just, and I missed the opportunity. And... Um, Now I'm going to have to go back to the sauna to see if Ray comes back, right, and ask him how his back is doing. Yes, two days ago, I was helping a friend out with something else, and um, there was another one of his friends there, and we're just sitting there, and he starts asking me what I do. I start telling him, and he said, now why would, it was a genuine question. He said, now why would somebody want to do that, like be a pastor, okay, and it was a genuine question, and I just said, I told him, I said, because man, when I was 19, I met Jesus, and it just changed everything. And I just thought, I don't know how I can do anything else the rest of my life than just tell people about what I just experienced. And then that also hit me that I had to go back, and some of us have to go back to remembering the moments when you met Jesus. And some of us, and I'm not trying to be mean, would say, well, I don't remember that moment. Well, maybe because you haven't had it. And and, and, and you've swam in this religious vein for so long thinking you're okay 
But you didn't meet Jesus anywhere in there. Because I'm telling you, when you meet Jesus, like it just does something. And when you meet him, you didn't have a religious experience. You met Jesus. Like you met, you met a person. And then that experience, that what happens there becomes something you're like, man, I just got to share this. I just, other people have to know this. And so I told that guy that. And I think he was nice and he listened to me. And what about you? What about you? Will you pray a prayer that says, God, help me to share my faith? And when you do, will you remember that the process of sharing your faith is about Jesus? It's not about how it made your life better. Okay? Paul didn't get up and preach on saying, you know, my, my life has been made so much better because I said yes to Jesus. His life got horribly worse. They told Peter, stop preaching about Jesus and do everything else you're doing. Do everything else you're doing. Just don't mention his name. And you know what he said? No, that's everything that we're doing. Nothing else matters other than us mentioning his name. Mentioning the name of Jesus. Nothing else is important other than that. And so... Here's what I want to say. When you go to share your faith, you can invite people to church, and you should, and that would be great, and we made little cards for you because it's easier. But my primary hope, honestly, is not that we become really good church inviters because I, will, I honestly think, and I did this for a decade in my life, um, I used inviting someone to church as a cop-out from actually sharing my faith. And inviting someone to church doesn't make them a Christian. In fact, in many ways, could actually um, harm that process. And what I mean by that is they could just show up to church and then think they're okay. And conversion could never happen. I think to take this text seriously then means that we have to get really Good at overcoming fear of not believing lies that the enemy would tell you about sharing your faith and just speaking the name Jesus to people. Paul said, Everyone thinks I'm foolish when I preach, they think I'm stupid and ignorant, even though he wasn't, he's a pretty smart dude. Because I won't debate with people and I won't get up into all of this um, high-end conversation. He says, I just keep preaching Jesus and Jesus crucified. Because it all comes down to Jesus and Jesus crucified. So I think that's what he would have us do. Let's pray. We hope you were inspired, challenged, and learned something new. For more information about our church, visit our website at redemptioncitychurch.tv. Have a great week.